Terrible. Um, you need to wear a bright shirt next time so I can see you. But yeah, I'm just going to pray for my dear friend. I thank you so much for Maz and for Pep and their entire family. God, I thank you for his, um, for his yes to us um, this morning. I thank you for the, the one another's of doing life with you, but also with people for so long that is wrapped up in Maz, that is represented in, in his life journey so far. And I thank you that, um, that it continues. And we are the privilege of, we get the privilege of being able to one another with him, with them in this season and this time. I pray that you'd bless him, bless him, bless the desires of his heart, bless his family, and that he would um, truly know that he is, he is so better off having given um, out to us, that you would give to him in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You all right with that? Yeah. Yeah, all good. Uh, if you have your Bible with you, would you open it to Ephesians chapter 5? <clears throat> and uh, I want to read from verse 18 through to verse 21 of Ephesians chapter 5. Do not get drunk on wine or whiskey, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 21, which is our key verse, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. When Lyndon asked if I would do this text, it was like, submit to one another? <laughs> there are some verses in Scripture that are very confronting, aren't they? Very challenging. And to understand this one another, submit to one another out of reverence for or for Christ or the fear of Christ, as some translations put it, there are two important words. Who knows what the key word is when you're looking at real estate and buying? It's called location, location, location. To understand even a word or a phrase in Scripture, there is also a key word, and it's called context, context, context. Everything is in a location in time and space, and everything has a context. And if we don't get those things right, we misunderstand not only the scriptures, but we run the risk of misunderstanding one another. How many of you have ever had a word of yours taken out of context? And you've been what? Misunderstood. Because somebody heard one side of a telephone conversation. Or as it happened to me once, walked into a room, turning around to say something to the people in the other room, and then later being judged by the people in this room for what they heard. Because they didn't hear what? The context, the whole 
story, the whole conversation. There's nothing worse than feeling misunderstood because you were taken out of context. God does not like his word taken out of context either because we misunderstand it then. So what I've learned is every word and phrase is in a context of a sentence, a paragraph, a letter, a testament, and the whole. And one of the things my maternal grandfather taught me, he was probably in my early childhood and early teens more a father to me than my father, and he took us into uh, his home when my father was locked away for a few years after um, beating up my mother. Um, it's one of those visual, verbal uh, sound images you never really get out of your head. And so my grandfather was really a father to me and taught me some very important life principles because he left school at 14 and became a civil engineer with absolutely no academic qualifications. He built roads and bridges in Taupo where we lived with him and he built the first original Rangipo prison which he let me play in, and I always wondered why he shut the door and walked away. <laughs> I think he was trying to deter me that I would not want to be in one of these later. But one day I asked him an important question, and I said, Granddad, how did you become an engineer with no education? And he had these little phrases. He said... Son, he always called me son, he said, son, God gave you two ears, two eyes, one mouth. Listen twice as much, observe twice as much as you talk. And when you open your mouth, ask questions. He started making tea, collecting the mail in an engineer's office, and then owned his own engineering business. And what he taught me in that was, he said, one of the most important things when you ask questions is he said, try to understand the person. Because the context of the conversation with him was about trying to understand my father, who had been born in communist Yugoslavia, Turkish heritage and all that. And he said to me, you need to understand that he was born in a location, at a time in history, in a context. And he said, you will understand him if you are willing to learn about the location and the context. So I started reading about Tito's Yugoslavia and all this sort of stuff. And, took an, and I got to understand him. And in the last two years of his life, we finally became close. But I learned through life in terms of reading scripture and reading anything for that matter, and trying to read people and understand people that I needed to under, ask those two key questions. What is the location they're in at this point in time in history? What's their story? What's their history? What's their journey? And sometimes as a pastor, when I was counseling people with perhaps uh, mental health issues or that, I would ask questions all the way back to their childhood to find out the location and the context to understand. And so when I read something like this, submit to one another, <laughs> there's something in our human pride and in sense of independence, we don't like that very phrase, do you? Everyone's just looking. <laughs> yeah. 
Because we think the idea of submitting, or the word literally means to subject yourself to someone, is that I am handing over control of my life to another person. And the very thought of that is counter to our humanity, to our human nature. We sometimes even view it as a sign of weakness, that I would submit or subject or give in to someone else. Yet if you look at the life of Christ, which we will in a moment, and even Paul, they were anything but weak people. It's one thing to submit, but what they didn't do, they didn't acquiesce to people for gaining control over their lives. And so I look at this verse, and I look at it in the context of Paul's letter, where Paul is writing to the Ephesians. My study of Ephesians over the years, I've called it um, the riches of God's grace in and through me, because it comes up all through the letter, and it's all about how God is so rich in grace and mercy and kindness. And he expresses that in how he draws us to himself in personal salvation. But then Paul reveals in a context, paints a picture that your and my personal individual salvation is in the context of a family. We are not isolated, independent individuals And this is part of what I get across, is that we will never become all God wants us to become unless it's in the context of the one another's of Christian community and family. It will not happen in isolation. So Paul writing to the Ephesians paints this incredibly beautiful picture of what salvation is And that it isn't just an individual experience, it's a community experience. For me, coming to Christ from a very broken, dysfunctional family, both my parents at certain points were locked away. My joy was I found a family, a great big family. I learned it was just as dysfunctional as my own at times. (laughs) Especially as a pastor, it's like, just love each other, come on. (laughs) Just do it, you know. But it was a family, for better, for worse. So this idea of submit to one another is that Paul is putting it in the context where earlier on in chapter 4, he's talked about the importance of making every effort to keep unity. And then he defines certain characteristics of humility and how we treat each other that are important for that unity. Because then Paul's painting an even bigger picture that Scripture does, is that this personal individual salvation that is not just an individual thing but is a community thing, is for the purpose that God, as Paul talks about in Ephesians 2, can put the riches of his grace on display to the whole world through us. God has no plan B to communicate the good news of Christ and what it's like to be in Christ and in community other than us. 
If that doesn't scare the daylights out of you, I don't know what will. Because I sometimes, over the years of ministry, look at us and think, you must have plan B in your back pocket. Please tell me you do, Lord. For God's plan of community to be an impacting force on the watching world, we need to learn to submit to one another. Francis Schaeffer, who I love his stuff, he wrote a, a, a book that impacted me as a pastor where he uh, called The Church Before the Watching World, in which he quotes the command of Jesus, where Jesus says, a new command I give you that you what? Love one another. Again, context, location. What's the context of that? So that you will love one another so that, what? The world may know you are my disciples. Schaefer put it this way. He said what Jesus is saying is he's giving permission to the watching world to sit in judgment upon the church. That the watching world has the right to say to the degree that you love one another, you are truly disciples of Jesus Christ. If we don't see that, you aren't. I sort of shut the book and thought, oh, these guys are too bright for their own good. You know, this is, this is impacting because I thought maybe he's interpreted it wrong and I went back and read it and I thought, no, nah, that's what it really says. Jesus is really saying that our love for one another is meant to be the demonstrative force that tells the world we're really followers of Jesus. And for that to happen, to play out in life, we need to learn what does it mean to submit to one another. The word submit is a Greek word that was used both in a military context and in social structures and relationships. In a military context, it was used to literally, it literally means to arrange yourself under. And in a military context, it's to arrange yourself as a, as a group of soldiers under the command of a leader. In social settings, which Paul will go on to talk about in the rest of Ephesians 5 and 6 with marriage and family and work environments and spiritual conflict, etc., it's to arrange yourself accordingly in those social structures and relationships so that they harmoniously work. It has nothing to do about one person is more superior than another. It's to do with roles, what I'd just like to define as roles and relationships. What Paul paints through Ephesians and elsewhere is that in Christ, before the cross, the ground is level. We are all equally loved. We are all equal of value and worth to God. But in roles in these relationships and structures of society, we are not all equal. We have roles that create responsibility. So as a father raising a family, my children are of absolute equal value in the eyes of God to me, but I have a role as a father that they don't, and they should submit to me. 
I told them that all their growing up. <laughs> I was having a conversation with my son recently, and uh, I said, Joel, your sister said that I was the weakest link. He said, oh, Dad, we always knew you had the bendiest arm in the family. I said, what? He said, we could get your arm right up your back. <laughs> he said, why do you think we always wanted to come to the supermarket with you and not with Mum? Because we'd come away with mellow puffs and chocolate fish and all those other very important dietary supplements. I said, really? He said, yeah, but we loved you for it. Don't worry. I always thought I was the leader of my home. My youngest daughter said, Dad, we always wanted to let you believe that. <laughs> I always joke, I wear the pants. She tells me which ones, but I wear them. But a home and a family would be an absolute chaos and disorder if there wasn't structure of roles within the relationships and submission to those roles. Do you understand what I'm saying? We know that in society. I, I, I went to high school primarily for relationships and sports. And I played every sport going. And loved sport, coached sport from little kids to adults. And you learn in the structure of that environment, there has to be a leader. Could you imagine in the World Cup soccer we've been watching, some amazing games, I love soccer, and uh, if all 11 players went out and said, I'm the leader... The chaos the game would descend into, the disorder. We see it in society when we reject authority and leadership, we go into anarchy. And it's happening in democratic countries all around the world now, where we disrespect the law, we disrespect authority. We have anarchy. So the Bible is direct and realistic about the value we all have but about the roles we have that we submit to one another in. And it has nothing to do, as we've said, about superiority. Jesus sets the bar for this unquestionably. As in everything, he is the one we are following, the one we are becoming like in terms of God transforming our personalities. I put it this way, that the more like Christ I can become, the best version of myself I become. I do not lose my personality, my identity as a follower of Christ. We don't all conform into clones. I say this to people of different cultures. They say, do I lose my culture in heaven? No, look at Revelation. Every nation, tribe, and tongue is around the throne. Wow. Growing up in a multicultural environment myself, I love that. You do not lose it. You become the best version of yourself in Christ. What a wonderful thought. Jesus gives us the benchmark and the example. Just turn to John 13. Uh, John 13. You will know the story well where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. It was a practice in the culture of the day that when you entered someone's home, you took your sandals off, and the homeowner would often have 
a servant in the home whose job it was to wash the feet of the guests, to cleanse all the dust of the journey and the day off them. So they came in feeling refreshed as they then gathered around uh, the table of fellowship and enjoyed one another's company. This is interesting. Picking up in verse 2, the evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. The scriptures teach us, and in 1 Corinthians 15 particularly too, that all things will be subject to the lordship and the power of Jesus Christ in the end. Jesus knew that all power and authority was his and would be subjected to him, yet having all that mana, that power, that authority, he's the one who gets up from the table, takes his outer garment off, and he's the one who picks up the towel and the bowl and washes the feet of his disciples. That's called submitting to one another. Because the idea of submitting to one another is that I'm willing to give up the power, the privilege, the rights, the authority I have to serve the needs and the common good of the other. It's not losing my identity. It's not, it's not that I become a doormat. It's not that I don't have an opinion. It's not that I don't have a thought. But it's the willingness to subject that to the greater good. It's like playing a team sport. Some of those players out there may not agree with the captain's call, but they submit to it for the greater good of the game. And what Paul is asking us to do in our one another relationships is to say, you have opinions, you have views, but for the greater good of the witness of the community of faith, are you willing to sometimes forego those and your own needs to submit yourself to one another for the greater good of the community of faith. We do that every time we gather and worship because the context of verse 21 flows on from being spirit-filled where we're told to speak to one another, to sing, to worship, to make music in our heart and to submit to one another. When we come and worship, we're in a sense submitting to one another because we all have personal preferences of the way we like to worship, don't we? Some of us would be dancing on chairs and swinging from non-chandeliers. And if you're more like me, I like quiet. <laughs> I can worship God sitting in my green wingback chair in my study in absolute silence. At the same time, I love to be with the body of Christ to worship. But we all have a style, for want of a better word. But we... Submit that to one another when we come and say, well, I put my personal preferences aside for the common good of worshipping corporately together. Jesus gets up, he washes the feet, and then in verse 12 he says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. So his role in his relationship with them, he's saying, is I am your teacher, I am your Lord. There's no backing down from that. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, 
you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example you should do. So Jesus sets the example. He said, I am your teacher, I am your Lord, but I am also willing to submit to you. I find that picture astounding. Absolutely astounding. The Christ of the triune Godhead who helped speak the world into existence, who is eternal, who is teacher, Lord, master, says, I am all these things, but I'm also willing to submit. Paul paints that picture in Ephesians 1 of the triune God. We don't have time, but if you look at it, you see that it teaches that the Father purposed salvation, the Son purchases it, and the Holy Spirit enables us to partake of salvation. And in that, you have this incredible picture that the Son of all eternity is willing to submit and subject himself to the Father's purpose of salvation to come in our humanity and die the most horrendous death on a cross to purchase our salvation. So within the triune Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you have an incredible picture of submitting to one another. It has, again, nothing to do with equality or superiority. It has to do with outworking the purposes and the plan of God. Jesus sets the bar. He sets the example. And then in Philippians 2, Paul paints the picture of the attitude and mindset we should have that is like Christ, where we do not consider ourselves, what, better than others. But we're willing to humble ourselves and serve the needs of others. And then he paints that incredible picture of Christ who did not consider equality with God, what, something to be grasped but gave it up all the way to the cross. Jesus sets the bar. He sets the example. And it applies to all of our relationships. To just draw the threads to a close, and perhaps a light, slightly lighter moment for you. Raising our four children... One of the questions Pip and I used to ask ourselves is not what do we want, hope our kids will do. That was never a question for me. I used to say to them, as long as it's not illegal or moral or unethical, <laughs> I don't really mind what you do. God will orchestrate that for your life. We asked ourselves the question, what kind of people do we want to unleash on the world? And so everything became, in terms of family values, about values and practices. So, you know, if someone came into the lounge and the TV was on, the kids were, always knew they turned the TV off, they addressed the adults, they could go back to it. It was called respect. Being present. Pip and I then one day did a um, parenting course. Don't know why we did it. Our eldest was 16. Our youngest was 14 and they were too younger, but we, our church was running it and we thought, well, we should support it and do it. 
It was called Growing Kids God's Way. Interesting course. I don't necessarily highly recommend it, actually. Uh, I found it, to be honest, a little bit Coltac. Um, but there was one practice in it Pip and I liked. It was called the interrupt rule. So to save children interrupting you while you're conversing with others, the idea was to train them that they came up, stood beside you, put their hand on, their hand on your arm, you put your hand on their hand, smiled and acknowledged, and the communication was saying, I acknowledge you're there, they're submitting to you, and in a moment I will address you. You are trying to teach them manners to respect the conversation. Failed abysmally, actually. <laughs> so we, we, we introduced this, because at one point the kids will say to us, well, why did you do the course? Nothing's changed. Of course, me, I just said, well, of course not. We had it all together anyway. Yeah. As a pastor, I was just supporting these people. One day, we, our church was running two morning services. Second service was over. I was tired. I was standing sort of, if you could imagine, this switched around the other way. My 14-year-old son, 15, might have been 15 at the time, was up the front talking to his teenage mates, and I yell out, Joel, we're going, get in the car. He had his back to me and he completely ignored me. I thought, oh, you've heard me. I know you heard me. Stormed down the aisle in a calm, cool, collected way because you're the pastor. And as I approached him, he turned around to me and he grabbed my hand and put it on his arm. <laughs> and he patted it. And smiled at me. <laughs> he did the whole nine yards. And then carried on talking to his friends. And then he turned around and he said, Yes, Dad, what is it? I stood there and I said, Oh, Joel, just no hurry. When you finish talking to you. I said, We're getting in the car. If you want to ride home, you know, we'll be waiting. And I turned around and walked down the aisle. <laughs> we got home and we had a great conversation. But... I learned about submitting to my son. He said, Dad, at the age and stage I'm at, he said, should not this be an equal thing that applies to both of us? That you respect my conversations, my relationships. And I, thought, I said, Joel, you're absolutely right. He said, I apologise. And I learned to listen. That it's not about superiority. It was about the harmony and the unity of the family and the home that if I had those expectations of him, I should live up to them as well. It's one of those learning moments as a father I have never forgotten. <laughs> Walking back down the aisle with my head down like, oh man, man, I've just really learned something again. For the effectiveness of our impact on the world around us, we need to learn to submit to one another. I can't tell you how to do that. What I'm trying to impart is the motive for it. The implications about working that are yours in your everyday life because I don't know where you're at in your location and context. But I know where the scripture's at with it and why it's important to the unity and the witness and effectiveness of the church, of the home, of society, 
of a sports team, <laughs> of a whole nation. That we, and it's all about, if I close with this simple sentence, it's all about the willingness to submit to one another because we see the intrinsic worth and value in each other, in Christ. Let's stand. Father, we thank you for your presence with us. And I thank you that your word is both comforting and confronting. It soothes us and it challenges us. And you pull no punches. But Father, it's because there is a greater vision and picture that we as your children would represent you well before a watching world that they would not see perfection in us because that's almost abhorrent, but that they would see we are authentically seeking to love you with all our heart, soul and mind, and to follow Christ, who sets the bar and is the ultimate example, that even having all power and authority, he submitted himself to the Father's will and purchased our salvation. Father, as we step into the watching world in this coming week, we pray that you'll give us opportunities where we would not lord it over others, but we would serve them in such a way that it would draw them into the presence of Christ and the family of God. Let your blessing rest upon each one and every family represented here today. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen.